Hey, this is Liz. This is Heather. And we have a surprise classic movie review coming for you today where we are talking about Star Trek First Contact. All right, hit the music. support the show want to get some awesome rewards and nerdy bitches swag then head on over to our patreon account at patreon.com slash nerdy bitches from not your basic bitch to rockstar bitch we have a monthly donation plan to fit any budget your support allows us to really up our game and make sure the show stays awesome without bowing to corporate sponsorship in addition to providing prizes giveaways and convention coverage we'll also donate 20 percent of all net profits each month directly to other independent podcasts This allows us to help grow other indie shows that we believe in. So hit us up at patreon.com slash nerdy bitches and support your favorite bitches today. Surprise! I know you guys have been following our Twitter account, and if you're not, you should be. Uh, And this week, we actually did a poll because every year before Comic Palooza, we do a classic movie review. Now, typically, we have tried to stick with the movies that are coming and doing their, like, a big reunion show, or they've got, you know, a whole bunch of people from the cast are coming. Last year, we didn't do that because the big do... We did do one. We did one, but we didn't do the one that was the big review. The one that they were doing was Nightmare on Elm Street, and since neither Heather nor I prefer to watch scary movies, we didn't. So what we did was we went ahead and picked another cast member, another, uh, we picked another actress who was coming to the show and we decided to do one of her movies and we did Independence Day for that. So this year, similar vein, we don't have a full on reunion that's coming together that we have yet heard of, but there were several actors that are coming and we thought, hey, that would be really fun to do another classic movie review. And we, we came together with a list of about six different options to choose from. And uh, so we did. We put up a poll on Twitter with four of those, each representing a different guest that will be coming to Comic Palooza this month. So that's May 25th through 27th. And the Twitter people have spoken. And honestly, that was our craziest poll we've ever done. Like, it was the most voted in poll. I think we had 196 votes on that particular poll. And it went down to the wire. It did. Down to the wire, we were at a tie. Now, the movies that we had selected for that particular poll were Stand and Deliver for Edward James Olmos, Hook for Dante Bosco, Spider-Man from 1990. Two? Was it? 90, I, no, 2002. Excuse yeah, me, I thought it was in the 2000s. It's the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. He is not coming to Comic Palooza. However, Tom Holland is. Now, when we talk about a classic movie review, we look for something that's at least 10 years old but that we will discuss. And Tom Holland is a fetus, so he was not making good movies uh, 10 years ago. So we did a nod to him. And then the last movie we did was uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace to represent Ray Park, who plays at least Darth partially Maul. Yeah. plays Darth Maul. So one of the one of the big groups that's coming this year, we have multiple actors from the Star Trek series coming to Comic Palooza this year. And one of the movies we were going to put on the list was First Contact. And Heather basically said that if the Twitter poll didn't choose first contact, everybody was insane and she was just going to burn the internet down. <laughs> so I said, well, in, in, instead of that, where we already have one movie where we are hoping that that one's going to win, let's just do two like we did our first year. So this is going to be our classic movie review of Star Trek First Contact to represent. We've got Brent Spiner coming. We've got LeVar Burton coming. And even though she's not in this episode, uh, she's not in this particular movie, Jerry Ryan is coming. This movie is a movie with the Borg, and she played a Borg, so... Yeah, it's close enough. We're taking it. 
But yeah, since two uh, two actors that are in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, I thought for sure we had to have uh, this movie represented. And I wanted to... And First Contact, it's one of those ones where I know it's my favorite, and I wanted to see if it held up because I actually haven't watched it in quite a while. I'm trying to think of like the last time I saw it, and I think it was in the aughts, so it's been a while. I know I've seen it because I've seen all of them. I didn't really remember it until I kind of got into watching it, and even then it was a little fuzzy. Mm -hmm. I mostly remember, you know, certain actors being in it, and, oh, yeah, I have seen this one. Yeah, so it was either at the time or just after the time of Deep Space Nine. They still had the Deep Space Nine uh, uniforms. And uh, Worf had the long Deep Space Nine hair. Mm -hmm. So, again, I don't recall right when it came out and what I was watching at the time, but uh, that it feels that feels right to me. And so I was hoping it it came out in 1996. I looked it up and it was actually one that was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, Commander Riker, everybody's favorite space whore. Yes. And um, with this particular movie, I have some opinions. Now, I don't, I really, really enjoyed it at the time, but going back to seeing if it held up, there were some parts that kind of irritated me, uh, the purest in me irritated me. Yeah, we'll get get to it. Okay. So we're we're not going to bother trying to do a summary because we suck at them. So... I think we should just we just might as well right just in. read the script if we're going to do a summary. <laughs> exactly. Or do it as a commentary. And hopefully, unlike our last one, it will actually be shorter than the runtime of the movie. So you have been warned. <laughs> so yeah, I mean this this one opens up with a uh you know, John Luke Picard is already captured by the Borg though. And I'm like, well shit, I don't remember this happening. Then it was one of those, uh, then they had a little jump scare, turned out to be a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was asking, Paul was watching it with me, and I asked him, I was like, now, where did this movie fall? And they, they get into it a little bit later, but it's like, where did this movie fall with the series? Because we know within the series, he does get taken and assimilated by the Borg. They have to rescue him. All sorts of things happen to make him less Orgish. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so yeah, I was, I was like, oh, well, that's weird. And then you're like, oh, it's a dream. And then there was like another dream. So, like, right away, they're going to drill into his eyeball. I hate I that know, dream within a dream bullshit. Me it's too. stupid. So annoying. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, this one, this show was well after the series ended because there was three movies, right? Well, they, they, he even says in the show that it's been six years. Yeah. Uh, to this point. So we're six years post Picard Borgdom. And uh, that's that's where we open up. Yeah. So we'll talk about the the um, main characters a little bit. But uh, it's just a it was it just jumped right into the Borg being there and the Borg were, had attacked a planet. I don't know if they got everybody or what I can't remember. It was just one of the they usually do. Yeah. yeah, I think they took the whole planet. Yeah, if it was just one of their allied ones, and then they wouldn't let uh, Jean Luc Picard's, or they wouldn't let the Enterprise go and intercept them on because they knew the Borg were now heading to Earth because they said that you know he was too close to it because he'd been captured and he was you know too hell bent on revenge, and so you know me and the audience and everybody, I'm sure we were all. This is Jean-Luc Picard. He doesn't get emotional like that. He's very normal, very steadfast, and that's, you know, that's a bad decision. But then the movie puts a different person in Jean-Luc Picard's place, it felt like. Yeah. I think that was the... I, so, I enjoyed the movie. I don't want to indicate that I didn't. But when I go back to it and think of it held up, I don't think it held up because I don't think that the characters were consistent. I feel like... The character of uh, Jonathan Frank, so I think Frank's, Riker's character, was put all of his mannerisms and things that he would say and do into Captain Picard's spot and vice versa. It's like they just swapped characters. Yeah, I, you know, the one place I could see where Picard would get emotional and would get shaken 
which again is not his normal. Yeah. That's not his normal MO, but I think the way, and I think the Borg is it because when that happened and, and again, we're flashing back to the actual next generation series that was, it was a really hard time. You know, it was hard for him. It was hard for the crew. It's hard on his body. They're like a lot of, a lot of really creepy shit went down when that happened. And so you do think some of it had kind of a lasting effect, but so Starfleet has said, you are not to go. You are not to engage. You sir are going to monitor the neutral zone for absolutely no reason because nobody's there. Like the Romulans haven't been spotted in months yeah. and it's, it's just not, it's, it's unnecessary. They're just keeping him out of the fray. And I think the whole, and he's like, well, we're going to follow orders. But that's when the whole crew kind of looks at him like, since when, when, when do we, <laughs> when do we ever follow orders? Exactly. Um, but he does end up getting that, um, uh, you know, they indicate their board, they indicate, you know, they just go on that. And then he just decides, you know what? I'm going after him anyway. Screw this. And so he goes to, does his big, hey, I'm the captain. I'm about to break all the rules. Please let me know if you disagree with me and I will note it in your personal file. And then that's when Brent Spiner, who has his emotion chip, decides to um, be all kid rock to hell with the rules or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he said, I believe I speak for the entire crew when I say to hell with our orders, mm-hmm. which I like because that that is since he has gotten his emotion chip. So now he can he's acting a little bit more on the human side. The other thing that I noted in this very first kind of scene is Jordy's got eyes. There's yeah, no more no more visor. I think this is the first movie we get him in without the visor. So. Yeah, I, I do. I remember being um, surprised, but startled by it when I first saw it. And I think because they're the bionic guys, and they're yeah, not realized. They're they, kind of creepy as fuck. Yeah, they're seriously like blue and white. And it was like, you know what? You you have the technology to make um, blind people see. So maybe you could just paint some blue or something on there, so it's not so. St- dark uh well it, right. it wasn't just that it was blue and white it was that when they when they closed in on him and they did it a couple of times throughout the blue you could actually see like the circuitry in the bionic eyeball like and in gold so that was very disconcerting to look at yeah i don't know i just i that was uh it's startling to me when i see it because you know it's just I don't know. We don't, people get these uh, contacts for Halloween and stuff, and they wander around like they look fine, and you're like, "Evil Spawn!" Like you know, just, right. <laughs> they don't yeah. know what they don't know that they're freaking me the hell out. It happens a lot at Comic Palooza too. When people, I think they know. I yeah. don't think they care. I just think you f- you'd probably forget about it, just like you'd always forget about it when you you had contacts in. You just don't even mm-hmm. think about you know. So. Anyway, you know, I feel like I'm freaking people out if I walk around with contacts just because I've been such a glasses person for so many years. They're like, something's wrong with your face. Something's missing. And I can't quite place it. Yeah, it's like like, when someone that's had a mustache for a couple dozen years shaves it. You're like, I don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong. I can't I can't pinpoint it. Something happened to your face, dude. (laughs) So anyways, uh, this is when, okay, so they decide to go and, you know, fuck their orders and they're going to show up to where the Borg is attacking the Starfleet ships, which uh, Worf seems to be commandering one of them. Yeah, a little, a little he's, ship. He's that, that's why yeah, he's not on the Enterprise. And and so that's why I'm, I may have got my timing wrong. He's wearing deep space clothes, but he wasn't, a, he didn't have his own ship on Deep Space Nine. No, so. I don't think it was till later. But they all kind of tend to come and go in these movies. And, you know, Sulu's got his own ship and the old ones and like just other things like that that yeah. don't make a lot of sense. But so they show up and, you know, they're, the fleet is getting their asses handed to them. And oh, no, so, no, they, I, they did a good job. I thought they blew up the damn board. board. Uh, well, they were getting their asses handed to them until Picard came in. And took over because the Admiral's ship had gone down. So he takes over and he tells everyone, hey, y'all, I'm in charge now. I want everyone to direct their fire to these coordinates. And they're like, why? That's a relatively useless part of the ship. He's like, just trust me. 
And so they do. They all coordinate their attack, and they hit this one seemingly insignificant spot, and the Borg cube blows up. Yes. But before that can happen fully, a little round pod of Borgdom comes flying out and starts heading straight to Earth. Okay. So, I, I want to go back to the time when Picard told them specifically where he need, they needed to shoot. Picard, if you didn't mention that to anybody at any time before that, you're kind of being a dick because you just told all those Starfleet people to go die, right? He's like, oh, you don't let me join the team? I'm not going to tell you about the super secret backstore Death Star whole hatch that we put in there. But I think it was also, once he got close enough to the Borg, remember he could actually start hearing them again. Because I guess he's still got some of the Borg circuitry running through him. They've just made him look prettied up on the outside. But for whatever reason, he can start hearing them again. And I'm not sure if it was what he was hearing from them or whatever it was. But anyway, he yeah, but kind of a dick move either way. Yeah. So, and then let's wait until the guy dies and is like, okay, now you have to listen to me. Screw, it doesn't matter that I didn't follow orders because he's dead now. My turn. <laughs> yeah, so the the little Borg donut goes flying out of the Borg ship right as it blows up. And, of course, Picard goes to chase it because it's heading straight to Earth. And they're they're gaining on it. And all of a sudden, they use some sort of temporal... Time, space. Yeah, they things. just are like, oh, there's a temporal rip following it. They're like, oh, we're, yeah. oh, no, they're like, we're following him into it. So just keep going. We don't want to get like shot out into nothing. So they follow them and they end up back in, I wrote it down, they end up back and it's April 4th, 2063. Yeah, 2063. That's exactly right. And this is the day before Earth makes first contact. And so they they have decided that what the Borg are doing is they've gone back in time and they are going to bust in and assimilate so that basically it just never happens. Like all of the Starfleet stuff in the future never, ever happens. Yes. And um, so then we go back to our old time travel issue with the bootstrap theory. Right. Because if that so they test they um, uh they were able to somehow look at both current day and previous day. Well, I don't understand that, how the Enterprise was able to go down there through the temporal rift, be in the past, and then just pop back up. They didn't explain that. No. Yeah. But also, they, they, were, they also, like, in present day, they're like, oh, my God, Earth is 100% Borg. And so we've got to go down there and, and see what they did. If Earth was 100% Borg and they went down there the day before first contact, the Enterprise wouldn't be there because Starfleet wouldn't exist. But I guess that doesn't matter. I guess they split. Well, I think I think you end up in that that time timey wimey portion where you, the yeah. the future isn't set yet. Yeah, because the the events haven't fully carried through. Because I'm pretty sure had that happened and they hadn't been able to do their James Cromwellness of it all, then they would have just probably vanished. You know. But, of course, that's never going to happen in this type of movie. And we know that going into it, so we just wait. Yeah. Well, I I think that I'm a fan of the theory of the multiverse that every time that time gets fucked with, it splits the universe in two. And I'll, mm. take, I'll take that. Well, so. Barry Allen has, has proven that with his Flashpoint bullshit time yeah. and time again. So, yeah. I'm with it. Don't fuck with the timeline. Yeah. So anyways, we we get we see Earth. Earth is now this pers- this one particular place. It was in uh, like Montana. Yeah, it was it was, it was Montana. Silo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an old missile silo and this is after World War 3 and all the major cities are gone. So now you have people living in these factions in kind of a camping nomadic type existence. And so all of this fire though is being directed at this one place and so they they kind of figure out that oh well the guy who launched the first ship to make with a warp drive that actually made contact you know he he's got to be there so we need to go down there because if they stop him none of this will ever happen so we get down to earth and we see people are scattering and dying and running amok then we come across you know everybody's looking around and peeking and somehow we come across uh, James Cromwell, mm-hmm. who is 
playing, what is his name? Oh, I uh, forgot. It starts with a Z. His name is Zephram Cochran. Yeah. Wrote it down because I knew I wouldn't remember that. So Zephram Cochran is the one who they build statues to and they do all this stuff. And there's a lot of people who are injured. I guess they walk in and they find the shuttle or whatever it is that he's going to launch. And, of course, they're in there looking at it with this kind of reverence of, wow, you know, I've seen this hanging in the Smithsonian all my life, but I've never gotten to touch it. And Data is trying to figure out the, the whole touch emotional situation. He can't. He, he's like, doesn't feel any different to me. And so then one of my favorite actresses that pops up is Alfre Woodard and she pops up and she's trying to take them out. And so of course data just jumps like six stories down straight to her. She shoots him like 10 or 12 times. And then he's like, greetings. And she just kind of like passes out, <laughs> but it turns out she's, she's, she's been injured in some fashion. So Dr. Crusher takes her up to the enterprise to sick bay and they're like, what about, she's like, don't you give me any crap about the first, dire- the prime directive. I'll keep her passed out the whole time. Whatever. I can't just leave her here to die. Her name is Lily. In this movie. Yeah. I really liked the Alfred Wood- Woodard character. Um, I thought that it was funny, though, that she was just, you know, obviously she's coming from a place of war, a place of conflict. And so when uh, she starts shooting at Data, who takes no injuries, and then he's like, hey, how's it going? Howdy doody. Um, I, yeah. So I thought that was kind of a funny part of it. And then, um, we also met, um, yeah. So she got beamed up to sick bay in the future, whatever. Um, I still can't figure that out. Also, I think they're still in the past up there. I mean, they're in the past up there as well. They had the Borg up there though. And, and then how did they get back to the future? They still haven't indicated that because no, they do that later. Uh, I know, but they just ended up in the future again. Yeah, I mean, I was it available the whole rip. time? I mean... They probably have some kind of little pill they can throw in front and it just pops one open. Who knows? I don't know. These, you know, these are not important questions they think of when they're doing these. And they don't really fully care about the continuity that we do. Mm-hmm. So, anyways... Speaking of, um, speaking of the crap continuity... <laughs> all right. So, Lily goes back to the ship... Data goes back to the ship. Uh, Dr. Crusher goes back to the ship. And leaving behind Deanna Troy. And what's funny is Deanna Troy uh, is drunk at the bar, trying to be... passed out in the bar. Yeah. And, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to Riker that he's five feet away from her and realizes she can't hear him because of the noise, so she he unplugs the jukebox. It's like... Why don't you just reach out your finger and touch her on the shoulder, you know, as opposed right. to stopping a party for everybody. <laughs> and what kind of empath is the, she that she can't feel him over music? And well, she's drunk. Yeah, well, likely <laughs> story. But anyway, yeah. so he he uh, unplugs the jukebox. And at this point, this is when the James Cromwell character <laughs> Uh, Zephram Cochran pops into view and he's like, how dare you turn off my music? Who do you think you are? And he's trying to get Troy to do more shots. And she's like, Keith, I found him. But he wouldn't <laughs> even talk to me unless I took something called a shot. And bleh, like she just yeah. kind of passes out cold. So somehow they managed to get him away from this party bar situation and kind of explain to him, Hey, you're yeah. really super important to the future of humanity. We kind of need you to get your ass sober and get on this ship and make this shit happen. Like soon. Yeah. So I thought it made a lot of sense that they had to, that they had to tell him because he didn't believe the cover story as it was. Um, but it was just, I don't know, it was just kind of cheesy, right? But yeah. anyway, we, you know, during this time, they're working with him to get the ship back up to running so that they can have first contact tomorrow, like the history books say. And in the meantime, though, Data and everybody that are on the Enterprise, they're up there. And actually, I think Picard was up there for this part, or maybe he popped up later. But He beams up later. Yeah, but Data got captured by the Borg. Mm-hmm. 
And we, and I probably am skipping way ahead, but, you know, let's just indulge. We might, we'll jump back if we miss something. So he's captured by the Borg, and suddenly you hear this lady that says, I am the Borg, I am, you know, resistant as futile. And he says, I am the Borg. That is a grammatically incorrect statement since the Borg is a collective and stuff. And I'm like, good for you, Data. You know, yep. think about the priorities right now. <laughs> that, that, that the grammar was bad. Anyway. It's true. It's true. But also, like, so right now we just have a disembodied voice saying this. Mm-hmm. And he's in what used to be engineering, but has now become like Borg pod land. So he's he turns around and there's literally a head and shoulders with like a spinal column floating in. And then, like, connects with Lady Body. Yeah. So and I, I wrote down, Lady Borg is freaking me out. Yeah. <laughs> her data blowjob. <laughs> we're going get to get to that. Yeah, so they, they decide that they are really interested in data. They turn his emotional chip back on, I guess, to strike some fear or just to see what's I think going that they, on. I think that he was intriguing to them because he was the opposite of them. He started out as um as an android and wanted to become more human and they uh were human that and went to become more android yeah so they decide they're you know they want to assimilate him and pretty much he's going to be like this lady's number one dish right because he's the only one that she's ever come across after picard who could be her equal and partner and whatever so they, they graft, and now now the Borg has taken over, we forgot this part, the Borg has basically taken over the whole engineering med bay deck of basically, the Enterprise. Yeah, basically all of the Enterprise. They yeah. somehow snuck, they transported on board without anyone realizing it, and then they, that's why they went back, because the temperature changes and the humidity changes being reported were small, but... Picard recognized that they were the exact same as the conditions on a Borg ship. Yeah. So they go back to, they go back to do this. Now they're having to go try to find as many people as they can because the Borg will just assimilate anyone that they come across. And he actually tells them, which I think this was actually fairly out of character, especially for someone who had been saved from the Borg and was able to no longer be Borg. That, you know, if you come across them, your former crewmates, do not hesitate to shoot them. You'll be doing them a favor. Like, it was a very hard, hard line. It just, it wasn't the typical Picard that we're used to. Exactly, yeah. So, he had to uh, shoot somebody uh, on his own crew. And normally, that would tear him apart. But he seemed fine with it. Um, you know, we got in a couple homages. The Borg in general, but the Borg lady had... Have you ever seen Captain EO? Yes. Does the Angelica Houston's, like, uh, character in Captain EO has always reminded me of the Borg Queen. Well, actually, I'm sorry. The Borg Queen reminded me of Angelica Houston's uh, uh, Captain EO uh, character because it came first. But, like, it's just... They're the same character. Yeah, the interesting thing about that actual actress, she played um, Lady Jessica in Children of Dune. So she is actually the mother of the main Dune character. Now, I am not sure if it's the same actress or if she was voice acting in the audiobooks, because I don't know how many of those movies they actually made. But it was interesting to me because I'm into that series. So. Yeah. Yeah. That You're the only person that's ever recognized her in something else. <laughs> I, I didn't. Paul told me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't have had a clue. Paul told me. But anyway, so uh, back to her blowjob for Data. Yes. This was, uh, oh, remember- there, there was an other sexual tension, too, with Lillian Picard. Right around this yeah. time. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of that, but they're still kind of angsty with, with each other. But anyway, so the Borg lady, you know, she's turned on Data's emotion chip. And she's also given him, like, a partial arm skin graft. So now he has actual human flesh on one of his arms. And, you know, she's, like, touching it and, do, you know, sensory stuff. And he's kind of like, Rrr. And then she just all of a sudden starts asking him, like, 
have you ever been physically intimate? Like what? And he's like, how long? Or how? she's like, how long has it been since you've been, you know, like yeah. that? And because he said, yes, I'm, I'm fully equipped to do all of those yeah. things. And, and so she's like, well, how long has it been? He's like eight years, four months, three hours, 27 seconds or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that was about right because we saw him when he had the text the first time on the Enterprise. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so then she comes up and starts to kiss him and then he goes back and kisses her and you just know it's going to get raunchy, but fortunately they cut away. So we don't have to see weird Borg android sex. Yeah, I wasn't in the mood for that because, like, you know, what are they using as lubricant? <laughs> <'Cause> I, I, <laughs> because they have to have <laughs> Neither one tears. of them would naturally occur, is all I'm saying. <laughs> human tears. That's what's happening. <laughs> but, yeah, so she goes up and she basically, like, blows on this new soft skin. That's why I wrote it down as a blowjob. It was yeah. kind of funny. I assume there was a blowjob in there anyway. I just assumed. But I don't know. I don't know how well that would work with an android. But (laughs) I followed up with Lady Borg and Data have sex. Ew. (laughs) So this is the extent of my notes I take when we watch these movies. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, every once in a while we keep jumping back down to uh, back down to Earth. And that's when Zephyrin Cochran starts to get cold feet because Jordy LaForge decided to tell him how awesome he is. And this is not a guy that apparently likes that type of thing. He sounds like an introvert. So uh, he freaks him out. But yeah, he's like, the, the exact place that you're standing right now is where your statue will be in the future. He's like, I don't want a fucking statue. That is, that sounds awful. Like, I, no. Yeah. It was, I found the whole thing very, um, very odd. But... Um, <laughs> That I think they just needed to like add to the B story because, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise, what was the point? So they just decided to add to the B story. I don't know why. I'm glad they brought out three word Woodard, but it was all in all, it was a Borg story that they combined with this little time travel element. Um, Yeah, but I will say one one thing that and again, Paul pointed it out, it probably would have taken me forever to get it to click. Uh, one of the helmsmen, I guess whoever's driving the ship at the time, was actually the guy who plays Damien Dark. I know, in yeah. The Aerial series. So yeah. His name is Lieutenant Hawk. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you're adorable. You're not making it out alive, sir. Yeah, I know. As soon as he was on there, like, oh, yeah, you're dead. Spoilers. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so we're going along, and they're. There was another person on it. Um, uh, Adam Scott was the first, uh, was, I think, the first mate of Worf. Uh, I don't even remember. Okay. Well. I don't think I was paying that close attention he, it was to very, the two it, seconds on Worf ship. I didn't, I don't think I really noticed uh, much uh, on that, except for uh, Craig mentioned it. <laughs> uh, well, see, this is how it happens. They, you know, Paul's seen it a billion times. I've seen it once. Eh. Uh, like, I don't know. Didn't, didn't stick. Anyway, so again, they hop back down to Earth and they're trying to get, you know, the drunk guy to one. They're chasing him. Right. He's like, "Uh, I got to got to take a leak. And they're like, you're leaking. What's happening? So they go down. They have to, you know, now they have to chase this guy. Right. Because he's gone to, quote, take a leak, which they don't even understand the terminology of that. They're like, you're leaking. What's happening? They're like, "Ugh, don't you ever have to pee? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, I guess. You know and what, so though, you never, all, they do bring up the point. You never see somebody go, you know, hey, I got to hit the head. So no, maybe no, maybe, in, maybe their diet becomes so super efficient that there's no waste secreted by the body. Or or maybe their Starfleet suits are actually <laughs> like breathable still suits or something. I don't know. They can just walk and crap at the same time and it'll turn something back into water. They probably plug themselves in at the end of the night reclaim it to the ship i don't think the, the ship runs on it the rails <laughs> <laughs> the ship is that's now you know how to make a warp engine it is it, <laughs> it's part it's urine human excrement yeah anyway so they go back down the guy acts like he has to go to the bathroom and then he takes he makes a run for it right so they basically surround him and uh shoot him <laughs> Yeah. Riker just stuns him in the shoulder or something and knocks him down. And so they're like, no, no, listen, you are going to do this. And he's like, I don't want to be the guy 
who died not doing this to save all mankind. I'm doing it because I want to be fucking rich. And now you're telling me there's no money in the future. So that sucks. He's like, I just want to be on a beach with a bunch of naked women somewhere. They're like, oh, you can see kind of the hero worship in their eyes. Just get a little bit, a little bit dim, a little dim. I know. And one of them quotes something to him. And he's like, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, that, who said that? And they're like, you did about 10 years from now. And he's like, Ugh, fine. Bootstrap theory again. Yeah. So they're, they're doing their thing down on earth, but back up on the ship. Everything's gone to hell in the handbasket. God knows how many crew members have been assimilated at this point who are, haven't been shot. And so Picard, uh, oh, Lieutenant you- Hawk, and Worf decide to don some spacesuits, and they're going to walk to the outside because the Borg people are outside the ship putting some sort of contraption together. And that apparently blocks this. Yeah, it apparently blocks the signal to the earth or something oh that's right they get they lost signal and so you know Worf, of course is like let's just blow them up and he's like no that'll blow up half the ship we can't do that so then they decide they're gonna like sneak around and they're somehow gonna you know deal with this and of course this is when poor damien dark meets his fate out in space he's gone yeah. richard yeah. Uh, so, but between Picard and Worf, they are able to detach whatever the satellite dish is that they are, you know, putting giant hypodermic needles into. Yeah. And it just floats away. It starts to float off into space as things do. Yeah. And my favorite line of the whole movie comes when Worf pulls out a blaster. Now, this thing is already, you know, four miles away at this point. Pulls out a blaster, says, assimilate this, and blows it to smithereens. (laughs) So, now they can talk to each other again. Yeah. Um, You know, there's there's a lot more in and out here, too, with the... um, uh, Picard takes Lily on the holodeck, turns off the safety filter, and then shoots him all with a, uh, you know, one of those old-fashioned Uzi gun things. Mm -hmm. Right? And... um, he got all freaking crazy and almost like killed some uh, the Borg that was already dead. So we saw that maybe, you know, the Admiral was right at keeping Picard away because he's a little Looney Tunes when we're talking about the Borg, even though we know he's met the Borg many times after the incident and he's been fine. But for the sake of this movie, he has PTSD. But I think it's it's almost kind of like uh, like Opera Man here. You know, he he loves to play with computers, and he he does that as a business. And you know, we hear about people's computers breaking all the time. It's not a big deal. But if it happens at our house, if one of the computers decides to go to shit at our house, he takes it incredibly personally and just gets in there with vigor and attacks. He's swearing at the thing, which is hilarious because he's one of the most docile people you'll ever meet most of the time. But he's like, and you'll hear him under his breath. He's like, not in my house, motherfucker. And you're like, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I think it was the same thing. You know, they're coming to, you know, it's not bad enough that they tried to take me as a person or they've tried to take this planet as a person now they are going back in time. They're making it personal for him. They're going back in time to his home planet, and they're basically going to make it so that he never even exists. Yeah. And that none of them would have existed if that whole thing was Borg, because uh, I don't think the Borgs fucking reproduce, so. Yeah, they assimilate. Right. So, they yeah, and now at some point, people. once you've assimilated everybody, then what do you do? that's when you move on to another planet They're well like apparently locusts. there's android sex like you know that's what this is what's so weird about this movie and this is what i think bothered me the most about it is the idea of the borg queen and uh central collectiveness where she's the queen and everybody's like a hive is been so contrary to the idea of the borg collective that we have known for all of these years and so it's been really kind of frustrating that they just changed it for a two-hour movie. Right. I, I didn't like it because some of the formidableness goes away, especially when you kill the Borg Queen. Then, it, like, So then an entire society just kind of falls apart because they're all attached to her. 
But that's that's the other thing that they don't really answer as if that happens or if it's just the Borg who are in her general vicinity that die. I mean, they all kind of did when she did. But I think that's almost what these movies do, because the way that they wrote the Borg in the The in the series was that they were just an unstoppable force. And you know, there's some kind of comment that's even made like, well, what do you think will happen when he gets to us? And like, let's just hope that's millions of years down the road because fuck that shit. We're not getting out of it. So I think when they've come into this and they're not ready as a franchise to destroy it just yet, you have to take away some of their advantage and be able to beat them. Otherwise it's a terrible movie and the franchise ends. So. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's, I don't know. I kind of like the idea that they were out there always and, you know, be result, you know, it just, they're just always a threat. It's like the Q continuum, right? Anyway. Right. Q's just kind of a jackhole. Yeah, I like the Q or Q. Yeah. So anyway. I like when they kick him out of the Q. That's the funny part. Yeah. So they figure out that all you have to do is self-destruct the ship. And you get rid of all of these Borg, and then they can, uh, you know, do their first contact thing, and everything will go back to normal. And again, uh, Jean-Luc decides, no, not good enough. I'm just going to blow them all up individually, like all Rambo style, until they die. And this is, this is when Lily, so Alfred Woodard's character, really comes in, and she she just calls him on his bullshit, which, of course, none of his staff is going to do because you know that's mutiny and that you know it's big big problems even though they've all expressed their dissatisfaction with his plan yeah she just walks right in and she just tells him he's full of shit she's like you're chasing your white whale have you ever read moby dick and he's like kind of snaps to oh well maybe this is more personal than it should be and she kind of just keeps telling him to get his head out of his ass and whatever and uh, I, I do love when he, he goes and quotes some line from Moby Dick to her. And she just looks at him and she's like, yeah, I never actually read it. But yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't read that old timey language. <laughs> I don't read that. But, you know, it sounded like a good enough analogy that I could use while I'm throwing it in your face. Yeah. So I did like the dichotomy there because she she definitely challenged him. In a, way, in a way that nobody else on his crew could have done. Yeah, and she's good at that. She's a good challenger, stand up to authority. You know, whenever I see her, that so I really enjoyed her. I really enjoyed her in this movie. She's probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, it's such a one eighty from the character that she plays in uh, Luke Cage because oh, she's yeah. such like a sadistic kind of crazy bitch in that movie. So yeah. it's it's really entertaining to see. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I think I'm going to kind of, we'll cut to the um, Picard. Uh, they get, they are able to now beam down to Earth to be safe and away. And Picard is going to blow up the ship because he realized he was being stupid. And luckily... Oh, I'll, they didn't beam. They, they had to get in the escape pods. Oh, yeah. There were like something. 47 pods go flying through the yeah, air. Okay. Yeah, something like that. So he st- ends up staying because he heard uh, Data... And mm-hmm. knew that Data was still captured by the Borg. And so when he go- he needs to go and confront the Borg Queen and Data. And this is when the movie got kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, yes. So at this point, well, the whole movie is like a fan fiction. Deanna Troy's drunk. Everybody gets mm-hmm. to do these little funny little quippy one-liners, which is something that like somebody that's amateur that's ra- that likes the character would do, right? And um, it just it seemed kind of odd. I'm just saying everything seemed out of place. It seemed like if a 13 or 14 year old were ride that was a good at it, good at writing, but he wanted to put his little favorite moments into it. Uh, mm-hmm. Picard at some point is sweating in a tank top, right? And yeah, I mean, just all of these things and just the homoerotic. Well, I guess not homoerotic if if it was uh, dated with it's the the Borg. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was just erotic. Yep. Well, it, well data, it's it, it's like data. android erotic. I don't. Know. <laughs> when when uh, Picard walks in to you know confront the queen or whatever, 
and she kind of points out Data over in his little hookup pod. And now he's not only got the part of a fleshy arm, half of his face has been replaced. And now he's got like a blue eye on one side and all this creepy stuff. And, you know, then Data comes out and he's like, I don't want to be saved. I'm where I need to be. And like, you know, and he's really pulling this thing. And she tells him, she's like, cancel the self-destruct sequence. And Picard's like, Data, no, Data, no. And he just goes over there with his little magic speedy fingers. And, of course, he disables the self-destruct. I did like that they put the self-destruct on without that countdown. You know, there was no more visual, like, verbal countdown that was going to happen. So he turns that off. And she's like, now I want the encryption codes for whatever he had encrypted. So he he undoes that. And then he starts like sauntering over there and she's like, see Picard, I, because Picard has now offered himself up as the sacrificial lamb. And you do. I know. And uh, he seemed, say, Let he seemed a little into it. Me. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you can, you can have me. I'll be fully, fully into it, fully committed, whatever. And she's like, see, I've moved past you because data here is, is, you know, was an imperfect creature who was created by imperfect creatures. And now we're making imperfect and whatever. And then they go over and this is when you you finally recognize that data, you know, he basically walks over and punches out one of those photon crystals or whatever it was that they needed to destroy that the reason they were actually trying to get where they were going, because they need to destroy this one thing to take out all the board. Yeah. And so he just runs over, like, punches that, and she's like, no! And all this weird gas starts filling the... Yeah, so everybody dies but Data and Picard. then we get Picard doing some sort of weird gymnastics for somebody who's clearly 75 years old. He's jumped, and he's now climbing hoses, which should not have been able to hold his weight. I don't care if they're in space or not. And so then he's hanging there and of course, typical fashion, she comes out, she's half melted. She's still trying to grab him by the leg and pull on him. And then data grabs her and blah, it's all done. Yeah. So again, this is another fanfic thing, right? Because Picard bites his lip, tells her she's going to be there for, you know, he'll, he'll be his, you know, her manservant or whatever. And for a second there, you think that the loyalty of data has turned, but no, he was just a ruse. And because he loves Picard the whole time, you see, it was very fanfic. It, it really was. And so then all of a sudden we're back to earth or actually while all of this is happening, uh, Riker and Jordy are now in the Phoenix spacecraft with, James Cromwell, and they they have figured out the way to get started, and he he, uh, he basically oh, wait wait we can't go we can't go I'm losing some I'm missing oh here it is and he has to plop in a magic carpet ride yeah, yeah and it's magic carpet ride so now they can launch and then they get out into space and they're like huh. oh don't worry the the you know the Enterprise is following us just to see us off or make sure that, you know, whatever. And then she basically gets data to fire. This is, this is when she, we realize he's a turncoat and um, get data to fire on them because they're going to destroy it when he does fire, but completely misses them. And then they shoot off into warp to go do whatever they want to do. Now here bootstrap again, we run into the issue of now Picard and Jordy have been on this historic mission somebody's going to write that down somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. not just this guy. And then all of a sudden he's back like immediately the next, you know, like that same day on earth. Yeah. Weird. So they're all standing around on earth after everything's happened in space and the Vulcan ship comes down, lands, they make first contact and all of the, you know, Star Trek people vanish, you know, after Picard goes and gives Lily her, kiss on the cheek and says, I'm going to miss you, which honestly was the first hint I even had that there was probably something slightly. I don't know. He still seems a little old for her and maybe it's just the bald hair, but like those two ages, they seem to see ever dated someone that was his age. That's a good point. That's a good point. So yeah, they, 
I thought that it was cute that it was the Vulcans that were the first that were the first contact and um but you know and and the everybody went there and and uh kind of left under cover of the night. I was kind of bothered because they hit warp and they talked for a bit and then said, "Okay, now we should be far enough away." And then they got out of warp and they could still see Earth. Like I thought that warp went faster than that. Maybe it's it like does. half warp. I don't know. Just a little faster than the speed of light then? Not quite. I don't know, but they could I mean, they could clearly visibly see. Now, I I have seen sky my entire life. Mm-hmm. I have been outside on days when they're like, "Oh, you should be able to see a satellite or the space shuttle or something go by." But not with the naked eye. Yeah. She can very clearly, she can very clearly see with the naked eye them jump through the time warp whatever it is like mm-hmm. she's like yeah i think that you, i think you can see that because i think it makes it a bubble but i want my star trek peeps to get out there and let me know for that amount of time how in warp even if it's the slowest warp known because it would have been because it's the first one how far away they would have been from earth because earth looked pretty goddamn big to me um for that so he's like it looks so tiny i'm <laughs> like I'm like, I think you should be further away. But again, I do not know the mathematic uh, time of warp. Is warp how many times the speed of light? Because I'd say after about 20 seconds, you would think you would be like 20 light years away if you're going faster than the speed of light. But that's just my theory. I'm sure there is actually a real number out there. Yeah, and there is, and I have no idea what it is. So we don't don't do that kind of math on this show. So fuck it. All right. So anyways, why don't we uh, why don't we take a break so we can listen to promos from our awesome podcasting friends. And when we come back, we can talk about kind of our our final thoughts on this and then anything else we have to talk about. So okay. we'll see you guys in a minute. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything, Everything I, learned I Learned From Movies. And tonight, tonight, like every night, we bring <laughs> you questionable movies and pass the lessons that we've learned on to you. As well as we go over some great beer and funny third thing. Yes, we're excellent beer reviewers, and as BJCP certified beer judges, we sort of know what we're talking about in regards to that. The movies? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about uh, odd movies, and uh, is he talking about BJing? Woo! Uh, listen to us at eilfm.podbean.com. That's everything I learned from movies.podbean.com. Hey, honey, are you ready to pop that top? My top. All right, we're back. I know that you are going to run out and listen to that podcast because they are amazing. Before you do, go ahead and finish listening to us. That would be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what are kind of your final thoughts on this? Because this was, again, this was the, sh- the movie that you had said, if our Twitter people didn't pick, you would like burn it down. You would yeah. just be completely distorted and or you would not have. You, you couldn't even imagine that it wouldn't win. And that's why we just went ahead and decided to do it. Because if yeah. I put it in a poll, and it's clearly the only movie of choice, that's not really a poll. So Yeah. Well, I, it's, I still my favorite of the TNG movies. And I really enjoyed it. But there were parts of it that pulled away from what we'd come to know and love about the series. And some of the temporal loopholes were driving me nuts. But other than mm-hmm. that, I, re- I really enjoyed it, and I like it kind of when they're having fun, because it was almost like a spoof of itself, the way that it was all goofy in, in some parts. Yeah, this was not necessarily my favorite of the TNG movies, but to be honest, it's been so long since I've seen them all. I couldn't even tell you which one is, but I remember there were ones I liked better, but... You know, it's kind of like when you go back into the original Star Trek movies, you know, you've got some really, really serious shit happening, right? Like we lose Spock, then they spend a whole movie finding Spock and he's a baby or a weird child, man child thing. They have to raise him up in the third one. So the fourth one that they have is actually one of my favorites. And it was directed by Leonard Nimoy which was the only way they could actually get him to come back and reprise his role was to let him direct it. So this is the one where they basically go to San Francisco and have to get oh, some yeah. whales. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. It is dumb as fuck, but I love it. It is so much fun. And it's, it's, 
it's more of a Star Wars feel to it in that it has that campiness. It has, you know, it's not so serious. It's not taking itself seriously like the rest of the other ones do. So I really yeah. like that one. All right. Well, the only thing I didn't like about it was the board queen and and her seduction of Data because, you know, it's weird. It's gross. It's yeah. weird. Stop it. You're molesting my Data. Ew. Yeah. So. All right, so I did poll some of our castaway friends just before we were getting ready to record to see if there were any questions in the Star Trek realm. And so I'm going to pull those up, and I will ask them, and we will answer them. How does that sound? All right. Was it specific about the movie or just in general? Uh, Just in general, because we still haven't even announced yet that uh, we were going to do this movie. So I just thought I would keep it general Star Trek. Okay. So, uh, Stork from the Besotted Geek podcast said, if you had to serve under any Trek captain, who and why? Picard, because he's the best. Okay. Well, I I, actually... Nope. Go ahead. uh, There is a little bit of me wanting to go Janeway, because she's the the female one that's well known, but uh, I didn't want to end up in the um, Delta Quadrant, or wherever, whatever, whatever, Gamma Quadrant? She got far away. She got too far away. Uh, personally, I would pick Cisco from Deep Space Nine. Cause he's because hot? Because he's, one, he's hot. <laughs> Two, he's got the Cajun thing going on, and I'm a fan of that. But also because 90% of the time they're on a space station. And I think that I would be, I am not a super explorer type person. So I think I could live on the space station and have the bar and have the shops and like know where you're going to be every day and, know that chances are nothing's going to try to murder you on a daily basis. So that's probably what I would pick. Yeah. Well, okay. Except for they get into a war towards the latter half of that series. Uh, They do, but that's when you get on warp ship and you bust it on out of there. (laughs) Or you get on with the other Riker. Remember Will Riker's doppelganger guy? His twin? Tom Riker? I don't know. I don't know. You just take off with them. It's fine. Uh, next question comes from Brent at Home Video Hustle. And Brent says, death battle between Kirk and Picard. Who wins? Oh, I don't know. Picard, it, between the two of them, is the one in shape. He is the one in shape, but I feel Kirk would be more inclined to fight dirty. Yeah, he would be. Because we see him fight dirty a lot. So as much as I, what do I want to be the outcome of that is clearly Picard. I kind of think Kirk might take it just, I mean, if they're in their primes, obviously not meeting 300 years later in another TNG movie. But (laughs) uh, I think that Kirk would probably take it because he's kind of sneaky and he would find some way to cheat and win. Yeah, he could. All right. Well, I'm really glad that uh, we got some questions from our castaway friends. I do not have an internet review today because everybody either loved or hated this movie. And when they hated it, they hated it. It was long. They hated it hardcore. So yeah. I was looking for those too, thinking I could get a one or two liner. Yeah. The only one I saw was like, I hate this movie. I know. Uh-huh. It was, okay. yeah, you couldn't get, when, I'm not going to read you two paragraph review, even if it is funny, right? <laughs> no, not going to happen. Unless it's on those sugar-free gummy bears. If you've never gone oh. on Amazon and read the reviews for sugar-free gummy bears, do yourself a favor when you're done with this podcast and listen. Because, or go read them, because they are fucking hysterical. Or the one that's the banana slicer. Uh, have you seen this Oh, thing? yeah, the banana slicer. It looks very no, painful. The, <laughs> the reviews for these items are hysterical. They're totally worth a read. So a couple of things uh, going forward with us. Actually, this week, I was super busy in podcasting world. So I got to uh, guest star on Everything I Learned from Movies with Stephen Izzy. And we actually did a movie review of a movie called Zeus and Roxanne, which is kind of a cheesy Stu Gutenberg rom-com from the late 90s about a dog and a dolphin. It's hilarious. The movie is awesome. We have decided Steve Gutenberg is like, he's actually hot. And we didn't realize when that happened. So research is being done. Uh, but anyways, it was you a know, lot of fun. So go check out their show because they're, it's, they're, it was a lot of fun to do with them. 
Yeah, I bet it was. Just so you know, like uh, Eugene Levy at one time was good looking. I had no idea. Creepy. Really creepy. And I I haven't decided 100% if he like got hot because during his like three men and a baby days, not hot, like schlumpy. But he was also next to Tom Selleck's mustache. So it's, you know, it's hard to say. Or am I just seeing it with like, older middle-aged eyes but he's got like an eight pack i mean it's ridiculous how in shape he was in these in this movie and so we had a really good time talking about the goot and i would highly recommend giving their show a listen because they're a lot of fun they also do some beer reviews and stuff so i don't know i don't drink so uh and then i also got to work with our friend mandy over at caster quest doing one of her book club episodes on uh, Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind, which is a book I had not read before. And so I started reading it for her show and I had a really good time. It was a very different recording style than anything I've ever done before. It was much more of kind of an audio book and then discussion. We had voice parts, the acting. It was fun. I had a great time doing it. So go check out Caster Quest, everything I learned from movies because they're awesome. All right. So now segue into more awesome news. We got some really exciting news today, and that is our panels have been approved for Comic Palooza. So I wanted to tell everybody where they if you want to come out and support the show, meet us in person, get a sticker, whatever, tell us we're awesome. You can find us uh, Friday, May 25th. We actually are doing a uh, we're doing a show with Cult Forty Five podcasts, so they're really good friends of our show. We are doing a nerd trivia showdown, yeah, and it's gonna be awesome, yeah. So that's from five to six on Friday, the twenty fifth. On Saturday, the twenty sixth, Heather and I are going to be doing our live podcast, which will actually be a live recording or a live audience recording of our 100th episode. Yay, 100. We're so excited to do this. And that's kind of why we've been a little slow to release this year, because we really wanted to be able to do our 100th episode together in person. and With a live audience, yes. Yeah, Yeah, and with a live audience doesn't hurt. Uh, So uh, I have a call to action on this, but let me finish the story and then we'll get back to that. So that was Friday and Saturday. Sunday, we are also hosting the Women in Podcasting panel. And we have some awesome ladies who are going to come join us. Mandy from Caster Quest is coming. Jenny Kelly from I Love Flavor. She was our special guest judge on last year's live podcast with Cards Against Humanity. And we also have Thirsty from Raging Nerds and previously of Dogfin Radio that are going to be sitting in on this panel with us talking about all sorts of women's issues and podcasting, how to get started, all sorts of questions. And then we will also be doing a Q&A section. So definitely come see us. Now, for the live show, one of the things that we would like to do, and we've been talking about this for a couple of months, is we would love to have clips from our listeners other podcast friends, whoever it is, we would love to be able to have you guys send us a little audio clip congratulating or telling us what you you know love about the show, whatever. We just want to say, hey, that's fine. Uh, please send those to us at contactus at nerdybitches.com. I am also setting up a voicemail line so that anybody who doesn't have the recording equipment can still send a message if they want to. So I will be posting that on social media coming shortly. So just, uh, yeah, come see us at comic Palooza. It's going to be so much fun. Again, Heather and I are going to be in the same place at the same time for the first time in like seven months. So yeah, it was going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, all right. Do you have any other um, no, I mean, really, that was it. That was, I mean, all of the Comic Palooza news has been so exciting, and I'm really excited to see everybody and do some live podcasts. We'll probably do some non-live ones while we're there, too. But <laughs> Yeah, we're definitely going to be, you know, keep keep in touch with Facebook Live and Instagram stories and things like that, because we'll be 
reporting from the floor. We have not gotten our, we are a part of the podcast panel, uh, podcast program, but we haven't gotten our booth time yet for that. So we will be doing some form of recording at that as well. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That's another thing we've got to check on is there is another podcasting panel that I'm supposed to be on unless it conflicts with ours. Okay. I didn't, I didn't see it, but I didn't look for it either. I didn't either. I forgot. (laughs) Anyway, so you'll see us all over the place. Keep track of our social media and you can find us on Twitter at nerdy bitches pod, Facebook, just type in nerdy bitches podcast. Instagram, Pinterest, we are nerdy bitches. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash nerdy bitches. If you want to see, uh, you know, if you want to throw a couple dollars our way, help us out. These conventions are uh, expensive to, <laughs> to yeah. go to. Even when you live in town, they're crazy expensive. So if you want to support the show, help us meet our goals. And don't forget As soon as we start reaching our goals, then we will be giving back every month 20% of any of the money that comes to us to other indie podcasts because we want to keep them awesome. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys at Comic Palooza. I'm very excited to see you. Absolutely. Catch you next time. Music provided by www.bensound.com, and please email feedback to contact us at nerdybitches.com. What are they using as lubricant? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>